Systematic Saturday. It's a beautiful day, perhaps. I don't know yet because it's not my Saturday, but perhaps for you it's shining. Perhaps it's glorious. It's weekend all the same. And I know that you want to talk about what we're talking about today. Talking about uh, something grand. <laughs> something grand. Okay, unveil the mystery box. What is it? We are talking about the theology of Charles Grandison Finney. That is grand. Yay! Uh, <laughs> isn't, um, isn't the Finneyan theology grand, Nick? Oh, grand when it comes to heresy. Grand heresy, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. although we used to so both I mean, be Finney fans, right, back in the day. Yep, we used to worship this guy, read all of his stuff, <laughs> quote him ad nauseum. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I totally. thought he was like the best teacher in the whole Christian church. <laughs> yeah. And what's crazy is I remember, he... um, yeah. yeah, I was uh, in the charismatic church and we had a pastor who never prepared sermons. Okay. And we would be in the amen corner. And anytime he said something good, we would shout amen just to encourage him to keep saying the good stuff. <laughs> and anyway, we'd get into conversations with him. And so we like, told him, hey, this guy Finney is awesome. So he goes away and reads Finney, and the next week he just basically quotes Finney from the pulpit. <laughs> so, yeah. And you guys are Terrible. amening. What I think is amazing is you even kind of look like Finney. Yeah, it's the boldness, bro. Dude, it's like the eyes or something. I don't know. You guys have got the same crazy yeah, vibe. Maybe, maybe when I was thinner, the dude was gaunt, hey? Yeah, and he had that crazy hairstyle. It was full on. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I've seen you get kind of cray cray like that. And it's Finney, man. It's Finney all over the place. I could see you being a Finneyan. Anyway. All right. Cool. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about with regards to Charles Finney? Yeah. So, I mean, I thought it would be helpful just to, I mean, Finney is known as the father of revivalism. Mm -hmm. So his practice of the anxious seat created the altar call. Mm -hmm. He was pro-woman preachers. He was an abolitionist. Mm -hmm. He was a major player in what they call the Second Great Awakening, which was sort of the downturn of American evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. um, so he's he's got a huge shadow. He he's he makes a very big splash. So it's very important for us to understand Finney because inevitably in broad stream evangelicalism, people are going to be picking up on Finney yes. somewhere across uh, somewhere along the line. He was perfectionistic. Yep. Um, and he was a, a major enemy of Calvinism. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have picked up his rhetoric and his methodology. So he just has to be reckoned with when it comes to uh, popular level evangelicalism. I'll tell you. Yeah, almost uh, as much as pietism and uh, just the awakening itself, really. But yeah, especially that second great awakening Finney thing. I mean, that's crept into, I mean, that was basically, I mean, holiness, Wesleyan everything, you know, I just moved on to Pentecostalism. I remember thinking so much of what, um, you know, when I was back into the Pentecostal days, one of the reasons, what was it called? The Oberlin theology. Yep. Oberlin yeah. college. Oberlin he was college. the second, second president there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you read through, uh, there's that Oberlin theology manual or something. I forget what it's called, but I remember thinking like, wow, that there is so much. I mean, we're basically, we've come straight out of that tradition. And I was thinking there as a, as a Pentecostal, my particular brand of Pentecostalism at the time, it was, it was imbibing Finney's theology. You know, like you say, yeah. down, down to the anxious bench, you know, everything uh, was coming <laughs> straight out of it. A hardcore rabbit Arminianism, the whole yeah. deal, or really Pelagianism, I suppose. Yep. 
And um, I, I, and I got involved with a group that were very much into revival. Yeah, so right. There we go. Yeah, his lectures on revival were, you know, that was our Bible. And basically, it was saying, "You do it. You got to do it." Basically, the yeah. only reason we're not having you it put is because you and you get this result out from God. If my people, then I. And you know, <laughs> you know, that was that, that was that's the refrain. It. Exactly. And the thing about that that really got me is just especially with the charismatic thing. Um, you know, the, the whole way that it worked was if you do this, if you basically, if you want to speak in tongues, the manifestation of faith is that you just speak it, just do it, just actually do it. And if you want to actually go ahead and heal someone, you've got to actually just stand up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you've got to, you've yeah. got to do it. And it's, it's just coming Start straight. in the flesh, end in the spirit, as Smith Wigglesworth would there say. There we go. That was it. Totally. 100%. And that's all for me. That's his <laughs> idea right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. 100%. Totally. Cool. So, I mean, uh, he uh, was born 1792, died 1875. Mm-hmm. So, it's that era in American history. And um, <clears throat> so, basically, he is a modern-day Pelagian, just in terms of his theology. Yeah. And uh, he grew up Presbyterian. And you're not saying that in a derogatory yeah. sense. I mean, he just literally was Pelagian. He just literally was. And we'll, we'll spell yeah. that out yeah. as we get, look at some of uh, his distinctives. Right. But um, so he grew up in a Presbyterian context. Mm-hmm. But even before he was converted, and he probably did have a real conversion experience, before he was converted, he sat, he sat under Reformed teaching and he disagreed with Reformed preaching. Mm. Um, after his conversion, he felt that all of his thoughts, all of his criticisms that he had had of Calvinism while he was an unbeliever were correct. <laughs> right. So, in other words, he was a man with perfect spiritual insight even before he was a Christian. <laughs> Sounds pretty Pelagian to me. And he didn't even change his views after he got saved. So, there's the scary part. Yeah, wow. Um, so, Finney went into the Presbyterian ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he was interviewed by the interviewing board, they asked him whether he, he agreed with the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm. And he thought he knew what they taught. And mm-hmm. he said that he did. Ah, uh, Wow. He had never read it, and yet he claimed that it was the substance of what he believed. And after his ordination, when he did actually end up reading, reading it, he he ended up disagreeing with it, but didn't he wasn't honest with, with his church. Oh, boy. And so he remained ordained in that sense. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's where confessions are important, and that's where, you know, transparency, um, if you are changing your beliefs is important i think so and you got to read the flipping confession <laughs> you know actually read it so many people just like yeah i'll, I'll sign up no worries and they haven't actually yeah. even read it you know so yeah so, so what's funny is i mean funny claimed that he was fighting hyper calvinism right but what's ironic <laughs> is that what he called hyper calvinism we would call orthodoxy <laughs> you know it was, uh, it was just old school presbyterianism which is right. correct yes um, yeah, right. You know, so some of the doctrines that he thought were hyper Calvinistic included things like substitution a nature, <laughs> a nature, yeah, well, it's one of them, yeah. a nature sinful in itself. Yeah. A total inability to accept Christ and to obey God. Right. Condemnation to eternal death for the sin of Adam mm-hmm. and for a sinful nature. Yeah. So these are, these are it's like uh, original sin, imputed sin. Yeah. <laughs> Hyper Calvinism, brother. Uh, <laughs> and, and, he, and this is what he said I could not receive, this is talking about his former pastor, I could not receive his views on the subject of atonement, regeneration, faith, repentance, the slavery of the will, or any of their kindred doctrines. Wow. So basically, Just basically soteriology, yeah. <laughs> the wow. person and work of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It's, crazy i mean people say that finney believed in salvation by faith alone and grace alone but he didn't no 
No. You know, and uh, he even denied the authority of Scripture alone. Wow. Uh, Philip Johnson wrote an article called A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. And he, here are a few of the things that he outlines in terms of the ways in which Finney deviates from historic Protestantism. Mm. So the first thing is, Finney denied the imputation of the alien righteousness of Christ for our justification. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, Upon denying that Christ's righteousness could be imputed to us, he then also had to deny that our guilt was imputed to Christ. So he denied both both aspects of double imputation. Right, and he, he as far as I can remember, just, just grabbed hold of Grotius's um, moral government thing the whole way through, right? Definitely, yeah, definitely. So, so he had to deny at this point the doctrine of substitutionary atonement because Christ cannot bear another's guilt or another's punishment. Mm. So he was, he was he was trained as a lawyer, and this felt unjust to his lawyer's mind. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first thing he rejected. Finney rejected the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, the teaching that Christ as an innocent sacrifice takes the place of the guilty sinner, thereby satisfying God's holy wrath with regards to our sins. Mm. Michael Horton writes this, In line with the New Haven divinity, Finney describes the atonement in governmental and moral rather than substitutionary language. The right. atonement would present to creatures the highest possible motives to virtue. Hmm. Example is the highest moral influence that can be exerted. If the benevolence manifested in the atonement does not subdue the selfishness of sinners, their case is hopeless. Yeah. So basically what you have is God through the example of the cross saying, this is how bad sin is and the punishment that sin will receive. And this is how good I am. And look at how loving I am towards you. Be inspired by my great example and follow and do as I do. Mm, exactly. And so it just becomes moralism. So he's denied the gospel. All right. What else? <laughs> All right. Uh, on top of every aspect of the gospel, Finney denied the forensic nature of justification. Yeah. and confused sanctification with justification. Oh, boy. Nice. So the forensic nature means the legal aspect. Yeah. So um, he denied that justification is an objective forensic statement that is not describing an inner reality but conferring a new legal status. Mm. So, you know, like in marriage, we confer a legal status when we say, I pronounce you husband and wife. It's an mm. external new legal declaration. Right. He denied that aspect of justification. Yeah. Like yeah. the Catholics, he said it has to be something interior. Yes, yes, yeah, totally. Okay. I remember that, yeah. So he says, uh, obfuscating the issue further, Finney lists several necessary conditions for justification, insisting these are not technically grounds of justification, but the, condition, the conditionality can't be escaped. He says, um, these necessary conditions included Christ's atoning death, the Christian's own faith, repentance, sanctification, and most ominously, the believer's ongoing obedience to the law. Hmm. Finney wrote, There can be no justification in a legal or forensic sense, but upon the ground of universal, perfect, and uninterrupted obedience to the law. Hmm. How heavy yeah. is that? Yeah, that's crazy. Universal, perfect, and uninterrupted obedience to the law is what gets you justified. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I mean, so... It's beyond, it's beyond Roman Catholicism. It really is, yeah. I was about to say, like, yeah. I mean, at least they had some notions of the, the need for grace. But yeah, wow, this is next level. I mean, it's for... It's, I wonder if it's more Pelagian than Pelagius himself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hyper-Pelagianism yeah. is, is perhaps a better word for yeah. it. How was so, he, uh, just before you go on there, do, do you know, just, uh, yeah. just uh, with the Trinity and all of that, all the other matters of orthodoxy, was he sound on those things? 
Um, I think so. He didn't really pay much attention to a lot of that stuff, but okay. he was rationalistic. So, I mean, I can probably guess where he would go. Yeah, like on but, a humanitarian um, yeah. sort of slant. I'm, I'm just covering his view of the atonement and salvation here. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, no, just wondering, wondering yeah. if there was anything obvious going on there. I never thought to check, but um, probably not, though. Probably he stayed within those bounds, which is why he got some sort of a yearing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, cool. You there? Cool. Nature of justification. All right. Uh, he denied what Paul taught in Romans 5, that another's deeds can be reckoned to us claiming that the only person Jesus could have justified was himself. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. And then uh, uh, for Finney, justification comes after a life of obedience, not at the beginning. So this sounds like new perspective on Paul. Yeah. This yeah. is what Finney writes. By sanctification being a condition of justification, the following are intended. One, that present full and entire consecration of the heart and life to God and his service is an unutterable condition of present pardon, of past sin, and of present acceptance with God. Mm. Two, that the penitent soul remains justified, listen to this, no longer than his full-hearted consecration continues. Wow. If he falls from his first love into the spirit of self-pleasing, he falls again into bondage to sin mm. and to the law, is condemned and must repent and do his first work, must turn to Christ and renew his faith and love as a condition of his salvation. Mm. So you become unjustified. Mm. Mm. It, it just hearing that reminds me why I was such a nervous wreck for the first few years of my Christianity, you know? Um, <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't care about flying in an airplane before I became a Christian. You know, I was just totally fine. And then... I started worrying about it because I hadn't had a good quiet time that day, you know, and, yeah, exactly. uh, and I wasn't connected to, to, you know, and I, I sinned or something. It was Arminianism for sure, but it was, it was, it was more than that. And I, I realized a lot of that because I was so into Finney and I was reading him all the time. This was, must've been poisoning me, you know? Yeah. Just ripping the very assurance you have when you come to Christ <clears throat> away. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So works oriented. Mm. Yeah. And that's why you, you know, it, it sort of seems like Leonard Ravenhill kind of thing was, was a guy that I was listening to a lot of the time at the same time I was reading through Finney and it, it gave me the impression that I, it was doing good for my spiritual life because, <laughs> you know, I was all, like, I felt like I was walking around on spiritual steroids, you know, um, yeah. just forcing yourself to do good works that day kind of thing. Um, yeah. but you know, it's and and so you've, you you're sort of affirming yourself via that method all the time. But you know, what goes right goes horribly wrong when you have a bad day. So, yeah, yeah. completely, totally. completely. Yeah. So Finney was also driven by fear, thinking that you know, if if you know that you're eternally justified, this would encourage licentiousness. So yeah. you, he believed that you had to remove the security that the Christian might feel, so they felt threatened and not safe. Mm, there he we could go. Not see That's the it. Yeah, he couldn't see that justification securing our e eternity would give rise to thankfulness yes. and true heartfelt obedience. Right. So he was against Paul. Yeah. So when he compared the teaching of justification as taught by the reformers, one where we receive Christ's righteousness and that this cannot be added to and it secures our eternal rest, this is what he says. He says, now this is certainly another gospel from the one that I am inculcating. Oh, wow. <laughs> it that. is not merely upon some speculative or theoretic point. 
It is a point fundamental to the gospel and to salvation if anyone can be. Man. From his own lips. I mean, come on. Dude. Self-indictment. Yeah. Yep. So then he went on to deny inherited sinful nature and the guilt of Adam. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise, he denied any constitutional sinfulness or sinful corruption of human nature. This is what he writes. He says, moral depravity cannot consist in any attribute of nature or constitution, nor in any lapsed or fallen state of nature. Moral depravity, as I use the term, does not consist in nor imply a sinful nature in the sense that the human soul is sinful in itself. It is not a constitutional sinfulness. Depravity for Finney, then, is a voluntary condition, and we can will to be otherwise. Mm, mm, Finney insists that man must make his own new heart by the force of his will. And so this is where his definition of regeneration and uh, conversion come in. Mm. Regeneration for him is the willing of 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 the new heart by totally consecrating yourself to God and to true selflessness before God. This is a type of decisional regeneration. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's just shocking. Yeah, and the legacy remains, though, you know, uh, 100%. You know, that, that this is why all those, this is, it's almost like why, just hearing you talk like that, I'm just, you know, you have that horrible reaction of conservative reform theology to so much of evangelical, you know, whether it be charismatic, Arminian or pietistic sort of st- a thing or whatever that theology out there, they, they just look at all of this. And, and you know, what, what, what most evangelicals would just see as part and parcel of the normal Christian kind of Sunday, they look at in shock and horror as, <laughs> as decisionism, you know, because of they're, they're seeing where it's coming from. A lot, a lot of the time totally. and what totally. that legacy is, you know? And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's helpful to just look at this and go, ah, there we go. You know, do we actually yeah. want to be advocating that legacy? And, you know, it's blatant. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, following on from that, Finney has to radically redefine sin. Mm. So we understand that we are constitutionally sinful and that we have a sinful nature because of his definition of sin. He, uh, you know, we see sin in the base desires that arise from within us. Finney makes sin only an act of the will. This right. is where the perfectionism thing yeah, comes in. Exactly. Yeah. So if you have a desire to kill everyone in the room and eat their flesh, that desire is not sinful until you act upon it. Right. Yeah. In this way, Finney denies the sinful constitution of man. That was For a... Finney, there are no wicked hearts. There are only wicked acts. That's a very dark example. Oh, Sorry. I just thought it was a common, sweet example. <laughs> does, does that? Uh, does it's what that... happens when you watch? Uh, what happens when you watch Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? <laughs> it feels like maybe Finney's got a point in that it's corrupted you voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah. Um, totally. Right. Yeah, that's mad. That's mad. Dude. Okay, so carrying on then. So yeah. how, this, this impacts everywhere, of course, doesn't it? Yeah. So this view of sin affects how Finney sees conversion. Uh-huh. He equates conversion with regeneration. Mm-hmm. Since regeneration cannot be a new heart out of which we act, but rather a new will to honor God, and since God cannot give us that desire, for we must necessarily it must necessarily f- flow from a free will, we have to ultimately regenerate ourselves. Mm. So this is what B.B. Warfield says. He says um, in a chapter called The Theology of Charles G. Finney, we regenerate ourselves 
Only the man himself can change his choice. And if he will not do it, it is impossible that it should be changed. Neither God nor any other being can regenerate him if he will not turn. It is we ourselves then who make ourselves holy, and that at a stroke. For regeneration implies an entire present change of moral character. That is, an in- a change from entire sinfulness to entire holiness. Mm. A present entire obedience to God. And uh, you probably remember this. For, for, for Finney, there was no middle ground. Right. You're either entirely yeah. sinful or you're entirely consecrated. Yes. If you're halfway in between, you're sinful. Yeah, yeah, totally. It has to be 100% or no percent. Oh, man. Because if you violate the, one of the laws, you, you break all of the laws. So you have to be completely given. Yeah, exactly. You remember all that? I do. And I'm still recovering from it. You know, it's like that. <laughs> that's why I'm someone used to say Pekato is like my favorite doctrine. Hey, man, brother. You know what I mean? It's it so liberating. You know, just like, wow. Not that you want to treasure the reality of fallenness in you, you know, until glory, but it just, just the non triumphalistic hope that that gives you you know and that you're not you're not a a, you're actually you you are a true christian even though sin remains you know it's just a profound profound hope yeah Um, yeah so the will creates these two states of entire consecration or unconverted sinfulness you either one or the other um and if we do not sustain it by the will we fall from grace into unconvertedness unsanctifiedness unbelief unrepentance unregenerateness Drawing, convincing, regenerating, and illumining powers of the Spirit for Him is not a miraculous overhauling of our hearts to remove the heart of stone for flesh, but simply persuasion to convince us so that we can then save ourselves by our own willing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Oof. Now, there's, there's a lot more we could say, but that's probably a good, a good, <laughs> a good reminder why we should not think Finney is a good guy. No, and um, and it's like. It is a good reminder not to go to a Finian church tomorrow. Yeah. Nothing. Don't go anything in any way similar <laughs> to the Finian tradition. So, yeah. you know, find yourself a church that actually preaches the gospel and go to that church. And man, you know, if, if they say the word anxious bench, what would be the modern equivalent? Altar call. Yeah. That's, that's harsh though, man. Is it altar call? I feel like that might be Well, I mean, it depends into... on your practice of the altar call. Some people ask people to come to the front to go to into a back room to speak to a counselor. Yeah. Exactly. That's okay. It's okay. Yeah, that's, it's that's not that's ideal. Because you, yeah. you're, you're not trusting that that moment of bowing your heads, closing your eyes, and saying the magic words is going to do stuff. Right. And, in fact, that's what Finney did as well. He actually got you down into the anxious bench. So what he would do is he would pull you down to the front. You'd get onto the anxious bench, and then he'd come, and he'd drill into you one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Eye to eyeball to eyeball, and he would get you to recognize that every single sin. Uh, so he would just he would just tenderize your conscience with the law mm-hmm. until you agreed that nothing but entire consecration was was true salvation and conversion. Mm-hmm. And then he would get you to commit on the spot to being one hundred percent consecrated to God, mm-hmm. and that constituted um, conversion for him. Yeah, yeah. So it was a long, painful, drawn-out process. Totally. And really, at the end of the day, what we're saying here is like, you know, as soon as you have any sort of that, that that sort of legalism, at least, you you need to run the other way. You know, that's not the gospel. And I mean, any fleshly attempts like that to, to, uh, you know, either to earn salvation, surely, but but even to to think that you can somehow will your way into some sort of triumphalistic, you know, maybe I was thinking one of the one of the things that 
does come to mind as the direct equivalent now for me is less the altar call and more the hyped up worship you know, the hyped up singing, because there, although you're not being, you know, subjected to the anxious bench, you are in a way in that the idea is that you, through the process of a very hypey kind of worship, transcend into a, almost a wordless, blissful glory, you know, where you sense the unmediated presence of God, so to speak, you know, and, um, and, and that, and then if you can't do that, you have to work yourself up into a frenzy to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, it almost feels a similar sort of thing today that, that happens on a, on a regular basis versus, versus, you know, coming to church, admitting that you're a complete mess and then letting the actual worship draw you out of the mire, um, you know, and, 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 and at the, the acknowledgement of your sin just all the way present, but but showing Christ to be the satisfaction for your sin and uh, Christ's yeah. love for you in spite of your sin and, you know, just pulling you up into a true state of uh, understanding the mediated presence of God. I mean, that's huge. Amen. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the, the musical stuff. So here's, here's another quote from Clive Tyler. Mm. It was Finney's deliberate policy to break down the will of his hearers mm. since they could turn if they would. A battle resulted between the preacher and the world to make a turn. To that end, he used every possible means, right. coarse and violent language, mm-hmm. the anxious seat, mm-hmm. suitable music, mm-hmm. the protracted appeal, and many other means which came to be regarded as the new measures. So yeah. there you go. I know. We still have oh. the new measures with yes. us. Yeah. Totally, we do. Oh, man, that was such a big thing. I used that as well. <laughs> I was just like, because <laughs> anything can get justified under the new measures. Yeah. Um, if you're feeling those butterflies in your stomach right now, that's the Lord telling you that you need to come to the front. Right, exactly. Remember, do you remember yeah. those oh, ones? Oh, I do, I do. Yeah, look, bro, <laughs> I was the guy. Um, actually, I'm not even going to talk about it. It's just blasphemous, <laughs> even just to think about it right now. Um, but anyways, bottom line, go to church tomorrow. Don't go to one of those churches, please, for the sake of your soul. Um, and if, I don't know, man, what do they do if there's no decent church around? Just drive, drive. You know, we've got a couple coming to GraceNet. They drive like an hour and a bit every, because there's just no decent church nearby. And uh, that's awesome. Do that. You know, That's just, awesome. just yeah. don't, don't bail out. Just find a church. There must be something close or at least uh, it's closest drivable. Rather be the guy that drives five hours every Sunday than, than bails and, and find yourself a, a church where you can be fed and, uh, and uh, really just heal from this sort of stuff. That's just all over the place. There we go. That's my rant. Good. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick.